Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Right, on today's action-packed episode, no, there's there's no action. Uh, unless you saw the Facebook Live that accompanied this podcast recording a few weeks ago, then there was a fair bit of action on that podcast, I must say. The usual Dudley accents were out again with Shabazz and Hardeep. So they are both you know, co-founders, co-CEOs of the Montague Group, Montague Property Group, based in Edgebaston, very nice part of Birmingham, and actually based out of... Uh, Shabazz's block of flats that he worked on before, which if you haven't heard Shabazz or Hardy's podcast, go right back to the beginning. And when I say beginning, I mean, that I think they were like the fourth and fifth podcasts. Have a listen to their stories and their success separately. And now come back to this one and then take a take a listen to their progression. They've grown a company with staff members and office, a culture, uh, you know, outsourcing things within the company, outsourcing things without the company. They've scaled, you know, I'm not going to say they've scaled like a rocket ship because they don't want to. They've scaled to a really good level. And I think there's a few important lessons in here that are really going to help you, especially if you are scaling, you know, a company, whether it's property, whether it's something else. You know, these two have learned a lot through their experiences. They've hired people, they've recruited them, they've interviewed them. So, yeah, take it away, boys. All right, come on then. Shabazz. Hardy, or should I say Hadeep, welcome back to the Tesla podcast. You were here six, seven months ago. Shabazz, we filmed in this block on a very similar... No, the sofa was not as nice as this it one. It was a different sofa. It was a different sofa. Hardy, we filmed in your car. In my car, yeah. And this was, heat. this was the first time I met you? Uh, it was the first time we met a person. So this is how I knew you were cool, because a lot of people were like, hey, let's film in the cafe. Let's have all the background noise, and it'll be amazing. And you're like, no, let's do it in the car. Travel watch car. Travel watch car. It was, it was very middling, wasn't it? But, you know what, I saw you speak at Partners in Property, uh, which you're a partner of, and you said some really interesting things. And I kind of looked around and was like, wait a minute, I didn't know that y'all did this since I last spoke to you, even though I speak to you like weekly, right? So... Today's podcast is about catching up on where you've been and what you've been doing over the past six months. Yeah? Yeah. And then also, you guys are business partners. So I want to know how you work together, why you chose to work with each other, and how you've grown a team. Because Montague has how many staff members? Um, three. Yeah. Yeah. Three. Three. And I remember when you were asking me about the job ads and stuff. So this was not yeah. too long ago when you like scaled it quickly. Yeah, yeah. So if people want to know what Shabazz and I have done before... You know, for, go back to the Tesh Talks podcast, go back to like right to the bottom where it like stops and you'll find their episodes. Uh, you might see Hardy on Home Under the Hammer if you watch on Dave. You know, I might be on a repeat, right? I think it's on there, really, now. Oh, it's on, yeah. Oh, oh exactly. really? God, it's that's uh, uh, Okay, we're talking. Okay, cool. So, daytime TV for y'all. Yeah. So, like, what have you done in the past six months? I'm just, just going to start by saying that I only realised we've gone on the podcast since we recorded it. I wore ankle socks. So for anyone who's not watching the video of this, Shabazz is wearing quite smart shoes, well polished, and a scarfed. But he's wearing like Sports Direct like yeah. ankle socks. I think those are from George actually. They're from George. Yeah. Okay, so better. Um, and he mocked my socks because they had bananas on. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, no, cool. Let's let's yeah, go with you. You can 
can tell Jedi's from London because he's wearing smart trousers and trainers, proper millennial style. What can I say? I'm like, you know, 40 years younger than you are. And so tell me, where have you, what have you done in the past six months? What, what kind of things have you achieved? 40 years, that's cheeky, man. 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Between <laughs> yourselves and me. Yeah, yeah. We'll round up a little bit. Oh, six months. Yeah, the, times, the time's really flown by. Um, in the last six to even nine months when I've been doing the podcast. Um, so yeah, what are we, what are we, should we start at the beginning of... Yeah. So start, so when I met you, you weren't working together, but you were working together on some deals, right? It was quite... I think it was early days when we first... Really early days. Yeah, yeah so I mean, in terms of how we came across each other first, I guess, uh, we're both part of an online uh, property development community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the property, what was it? Property Life Pro. Um, yeah. It's like an online forum and um, training sort of courses and videos and things on there. And uh, the, the, the guy who runs that suggested that we meet up because he saw that uh, Shabazz and Birmingham and I was fairly local as well. So I came over here, saw what was going on, we just had a little meet up and a, a catch up um, to see what each other were doing. Um, and then yeah, we just started talking about... And he's been following me around. Oh, yeah. I was just like me then, too. Yes. Pretty much. Oh wow, I've got a fan from here. Must be even yeah. And then fast forward. Six months over here today. Now, yeah. what made like so when people look for business partners, often they're like, "Oh, I don't know if I could work with that person, or if I like want to." Like, how did you know from get you meet each other from online that you could work together? Start dating you with it. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I swipe left as fast as the group. <laughs> I don't know. It just naturally just happened, didn't it? Really, we we got talking and like similar mindsets and both kind of similar stages in life and wanted to do similar things and. You know, and it just kind of clicked. We started talking about one deal, I think it was the start with. Yeah, well, so um, I came across one, uh, uh, it's a piece of land, it's quite large, about 10 acres, and uh, at that point I thought, this is this is big for me just to go on to the meeting by myself. And I've heard a lot of people saying how it can be beneficial to work in partnership with other people, and also, you know, there's two of you in meetings and all that can work quite well. So I thought, thought who in my network can I reach out to for this? For this deal, first of all, um, Shabazz was the first person I thought of. Wow. Um, I'll say that now. Oh. <laughs> oh. You must have left an impression when you first met. Um, so, so how did you know that, so you know, JV on a property here and there is like one thing, but then how did it become, we're business partners, we own this company together, we have an office, like how did it become? We just started talking about cars and I think that was it. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it, yeah. We're mutually interested and I would like to um, uh, waste all our money on cars. Yeah, we can see we can see a few of them out the window right now. If anyone listening, what what have we got in the car park? Uh, we've got we've got a few cars. Got a few. <laughs> some of them not. Do some of them belong to the residents? Uh, some of them do. Yeah, some of them. It's do, like yeah. generally this car park. People live in this in Montague House like cars. Yeah. And you've got my like it's my landlord car there. Yeah. Classic landlord car. So okay. I've, I've got a Dodge Challenger muscle car. It's not here at the minute because it's broken. As another one you've broken. Another one I've broken. Excellent. I've got a Honda Integra, which is my track car, but it's also broken. Another wow. And Surprising. it's in the garage. And then I've got my recent Canary, I think it's called, that I picked up. I think it's Tedge Talks Yellow. It's Tedge Talks Yellow. It's a Lamborghini Diablo. So it's my uh, dream car when I was growing up. It used to be on my um, wall on the picture frame. And yeah, my dad's dream car as well. And it's also broken, funnily enough. <laughs> so three cars and they're all broken. Yeah. Cool. But you're a lot better at property than you are looking after cars, right? Pretty much, yeah. So then when you guys got together, how did you know what your strategy was going to be? Because like, you're different people. You obviously want different, similar things in life. Like, How did you know, cool, this is what we're going to do. Here's our goals. Here's our targets. 
I think we started off looking at um, looking mainly at land deals. Um, then we, we both we looked at a few, and then we had a few that we were looking at jointly. But then we still had some that like legacy deals that we were working on separately. Mm-hmm. So ones that I'd come across before we started working together, and then you had some yeah. that you were working on separately. And then we just sort of reached a point where we thought, why not just stick them all in the pot, and whatever we do, we'll just do we'll just do do together, and just sort of make. It got to a point where we had so many going on together that we thought it just makes sense to just throw everything into the pot and do it. Yeah. Do it jointly. Just just made a lot of sense to be honest. We both bring kind of similar and opposite kind of skill sets. I think we're very similar in some ways, but very dissimilar. Uh, yes. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, yeah, okay, so how are you similar and dissimilar? Oh, oh, you right, you right. Uh, <laughs> it's your life. Well, you've got some. Uh, addition, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I think we work equally as hard as each other. Uh, we just want to get stuff done. Um, you know, we do, we... there's a massive amount of trust as well. We just know that each person is going to pull their weight and do what they've got to do to get the job done, and mm-hmm. that's it, really. And that's I think that's the fundamental base of why it all works and why it all clicks, isn't it? Yeah, trust. Trust is the biggest thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Without trust, nothing. You know, JV just wouldn't, or a yeah. partnership just wouldn't work. And I think if you start to look at the nitty gritty details of like you did this, I did this, or like you put that funding and I put this funding. You've just got to look at the overall picture. Like, are we heading in the right direction, and is it roughly fair? Yeah, and that's what we do. We both have been of the mindset that there's always going to be give and taken with these things, and we, you know, we always say it's better to share more of the pie if you can. If it ends up that you end up with a bigger piece of the pie at the end of it, um, and the fact that we both think like that, it's um, you know we've got a lot of similar values, um, yeah. so that that part of it's good. But then in terms of the the, the stuff that we're opposites, you know, Shabazz likes to do things very very last minute. Which is the, oh, no so, so he, he's one of these people who at school used to uh, what did you used to do? Just like revise like forty hours before the exam, turn up and just like just beat everyone else I and just get like an A star. Whereas I was one of those that was revising like six months before and then I struggled with like a B or something. No, but um, <laughs> well, it's called just in time production, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there we go then. There you go. I live life to the most optimal. Uh, he calls it efficiency. Yeah. Pure efficiency. Never goes wrong. <laughs> I love that. Like, you know, when I met Shabazz, I actually, I knew that about you. Something, I could just tell the way you were, yeah. that you were that kid at school, like, without a doubt. I knew you were that kid at school as well. I could just tell, like, yeah. it's interesting that you give that off without saying anything. Yeah, yeah it's just personalities and, um, you know, Shabazz is, he likes to uh, yeah, spend, <laughs> spend without thinking about it sometimes <laughs> and... Uh, I'll try and rein him back. So, so, you know, we end up somewhere in the middle. That's a good I thing. I call it return on investment. You've got to spend money. Spe- <laughs> speculate to accumulate is what somebody once told me. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. A wise man, I'm sure, told yeah. you that. So then, you know, you kind of came together. You had your strategy. You were like, mm. cool, we know what we're doing. We've got things in the pot. What then was the trigger that you said, actually, you know what? Us two is, is maybe not enough. We want to actually scale it. And actually, you scaled it in-house, right? So some people work from their bedroom and they scale it to the Philippines, to India or the VA. Why did you take the costly option and yeah. do it in-house? I think, I mean, it's, I guess we should clarify what businesses we're doing. So we've got, first we talk about the land business. Mm-hmm. So we decided to hire within the land business because I think we got it to a stage where we systemized everything. We got everything into almost like three different phases. And within each phase, we've got it down to like almost like checklist kind of approach. Um, and... It just made sense at that point to plug somebody into the process because what we realised is that the more time we spend prospecting, the more sites we get in the system, the more likely we are to earn off of it. The one thing is though with the land business is that 
the turnaround on making any money is quite long. Like you could be waiting two years to get planning permission, to sell a site, to one thing we didn't anticipate was actually how long it takes to close a deal. So from the point that you meet a landowner to the point that you type a deal with them, it can quite often be six months. It can even be a year. We've had. And what sites. makes it so long? I think I think one of the things that makes it long is it's quite a complicated process. It's quite and it's usually quite a big decision for the families involved. Um, so they take a lot of time to make the decision. Quite often they've had the asset or the piece of land in their family for a long time. So if they've had it for 20, 30, 40 years or generations or whatever, an extra six months to them is nothing. So it's quite difficult to create a sense of urgency. And also quite often landowners are quite wealthy. They don't really need the extra money. They just want something to be done with the land. So so it's quite difficult to get them over the line. You know, with normal kind of distress sales or whatever it is, you can create that sense of urgency with land. We've tend to find is it's more kind of like relationship approach and like, you know, kind of take them through the process and make them excited about what the return could be. It's quite difficult to do that kind of FOMO marketing, you know, fear of missing out marketing. Mm. Mm. There's also some, because the deals can be quite complex, you end up with a lot more hoops to jump through. So there's some sites you end up where, you know, you've either got, you know, we've got some at the moment where we've got overages to um, to negotiate and get what over. What is overage? So, sorry, yeah. So an overage is where um, a piece of land might have a, a clause on it where if the if at any point it gets planning permission for uh, another use, so let's say residential use, and it might be like a agricultural use at the moment, then there's an uplift in value created in the, in the value of the land. And, and an overage is basically where the original person who put that overage on is then... Is then um, is then um, entitled. entitled to that's the word uh, entitled to a percentage of the uplifting value. Yeah. Ah, so okay. it can impact the land value quite significantly if, in that case. So we we've got one at the moment where we are negotiating that with them, um, trying to reduce that before we get the deal over the line. Yeah. Uh, we've got others where there's access issues, so you might be trying to negotiate um, an access point with a with a different landowner altogether. Um, so there's quite a few of the things that come into it and then you know families are quite often involved as well so um, yeah there's a lot of a lot of kind of problem solving and a lot of stakeholder management so you know we're dealing with a lot of landowners councils etc and it's kind of bringing all the pieces of the puzzle together and um, I mean it might be useful to talk about the show because then we can that's yeah, like that's quite good. a long deal and it's probably one of the longest ones we've been working on but also okay. possibly the most lucrative so it was one of the first ones we got together on, isn't yeah, it? It was the first one. Yeah. yeah, it was the first one we went to go and see the landowner. We've now met the landowner probably, what, nine, I ten think, times. yeah, at least nine, ten times. Um, and it's probably the most complicated. So it's a piece of land, ten acres. Um, it's actually been designated for residential uh, use, which is actually a good thing, which means the planning, well, there's not a pushover. It's a lot easier to get planning. Um, it's Who more going to be... Who designate it? Uh, so the council, they make a local plan, and then it's agreed by um, by government, and then... It gets kind of instated into a development plan. So it's been this particular area or this landowner who owns this piece of land, it's been designated for residential use. So a housing schemes have been accepted on it um, as a kind of future use of it. So that makes it easy from a planning angle. Um, but the, the family's had it for some time. They used to farm it. They then bought it off Homes England, which I think was called HCA at the time or the other way around, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and it's just been quite a process in trying to con- explain to them how the deal works and what the benefits are for them. And then we've now gone through the process of trying to get this overage removed, which means negotiating with Homes England, because if we reduce the overage down by even 10%, the impact on value of the site is absolutely huge. I mean, to give you an idea of the numbers, so the GDB on the site is probably 20 million, give or take, once it's built out. So this is about 150, 160 houses. The land value is probably in the region of about, what, four or five million, somewhere in, in that ballpark. Um, and at the moment, Homes England have got a 50, 50, no, 75% overage. 
uh, on the site, which means that they would technically own 75% of the uplifting value. At the moment, it's agricultural, so it's got pretty minimal value. Um, so the uplift is going to be pretty much, say, 4 million. So 3 million of that would go to Homes England. We're trying to negotiate so that we can reduce the overage down to 50%, which they've agreed. Um, we're then going to try and negotiate down from 50 down to zero because every time we negotiate 10% off, it's an absolutely massive impact on the land value. Um, the way that we work in that deal, the way we get paid, I guess, is that we get a percentage of whatever the land is worth at the end of getting planning and at the end of getting overages removed, etc. So um, we've negotiated a basically a 30% cut. So if the site, say, sells for... 3 million, um, or if it's worth 3 million, well, my maths is not very good, even though I did a maths degree. <laughs> <laughs> if it sells for 3 million, we get 30%. Yeah, it's about 900k, is that right? Yeah, about, yeah, about 900k. Um, and if, but if the overage is in place, 50% of that is going to go to Homes England. Um, it's yeah, it's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. So if we manage to negotiate the overage off, then obviously we get the full, full 900k. Um, mm-hmm. And that was one of the first sites we looked at, and off the back of that, we are like, oh, actually... This wasn't that difficult. Well, it is difficult, but it wasn't as kind of much of an obstacle as it seemed from the outside. A lot of people look at land and they're like, oh, this is really complicated. But what we did is we just got a complicated problem and broke it up into lots of simple problems. And we're now at the final throws of doing negotiation. We, we've got, we take quite a problem solving approach to things. So, you know, the, the landowner said, oh, you know, they're concerned about their tax. Um, so what we did is we got our accountant, we got their accountant, we got all of the parties involved around the table and we just talked through ideas on how we could kind of position the deal or do the deal as to kind of avoid as much tax as possible uh, in a proper way. Uh, and that's kind of value add, you know, where a national hospital probably wouldn't do that. They wouldn't come and, you know, introduce their accountants and, and start to try and help them save tax. Um, and we think we've managed to mitigate their tax quite a bit because there's a lot of issues around kind of inheritance tax and capital gains tax, etc., um yeah so that's the kind of value add and we're now at the stage of we've negotiated an extra building which will give us an extra house that will give us access um to a third part of the site uh, and that's been negotiated and agreed so we're gonna have a call option on that and then that will give us that will basically tie up the whole site ready to go in for planning um wow. that's probably the biggest one we're working on it's about 150 160 houses and why don't you want to build it yourself well we'll we'll see i mean i think um initially going into this we were like, let's build everything. And then we changed our mind and said, no, we don't want to build anything. And now we're kind of swinging back and thinking, oh, actually, maybe we should build one or two things. I think building something would help. It's good for credibility to say that, oh, you know, you built this. Um, and we could do a deal where we de-risk it to some extent because we've got the planning uplift. Technically speaking, the margin would be higher if we were to build it out rather than working to a typical builder's margin of, say, 25% or whatever it is. You know, we might be working towards 30% because we've got the planning uplift on there. Um, so definitely de-risk sites, which makes it more interesting and more appealing to go and develop. I think one of the things that was kind of saying, you know, one of the first reasons why we said we didn't want to develop was we thought, you know, that's the riskiest part of the process. There's the most number of moving cogs um, and your money is exposed for the longest period of time. So we're quite open to doing JVs with developers where we take some of the profit on the back end. Um we're quite open to maybe building a few things ourselves. Um, you know, we've got the smallest site we've got is five houses. Uh, the largest site we've got is 160 houses. We've got a couple of commercial schemes as well where we could put some industrial sheds. Um, so I think we're just going to pick and choose things that we'd either build to keep, um, you know, to refinance all our money back out of, or we'd build to sell just because we think it kind of fits strategically into where we want to position ourselves going forward. Um, but for the most part, most of the value or most of the deals is going to be in the land business. 
basically trading the land on to to developers and giving them a fair share of the pie. So in in a way, you're you're actually helping the landowner get more for their land because yep. you had the knowledge and expertise that they and the network that they yep. don't have, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay, that's interesting. And then so that's one arm of your business, the land aspect, which is quite yeah. heavy. Which is I think a lot of people, you know, get into buy to lets, get HMOs, and like, oh cool, what's next? Land commercial yeah. conversions, or some people just go straight into land. Yeah. Like, do you think there's like a a rite of passage or something to get into land well that's interesting because we I think we both simultaneously almost got into this land thing because we each of us did our own deal and I think it's been if you go back to our old podcast you'll hear the full details of it but uh, just in a nutshell um, I mean I did a deal where I pieced together three pieces of land and sold it to McCarthy and Stone retirement home developer and they put 41 flats on it did it and I was like actually like I said it's not that complicated and you know if you go back to the previous episode you'll hear, hear the full story about how I sold a ransom strip and I got two hundred thousand pounds. Everybody go and <laughs> yeah, something like that. That was a ransom strip, and then we made a good uplift on the on the main site itself. And then Hardy, you did a deal. Yeah, it was the um, the homes under the hammer special um, converted an old chapel into nine flats. I didn't actually do the conversion, but did the planning work behind it. So got the permission and then sold it on to a to a local builder for a, for a profit. Yeah. So um, I think with all these things, I don't think there's necessarily a, a, a right of passage. Uh, you know, you have to do certain strategies before you can get to doing land or or, or even development. I think it's all about being able to take an approach to things saying it is just problem solving, it's breaking things down into smaller chunks and, mm. and working it out as you go along. <clears throat> I think anyone can can do it if you've got the right approach. I mean, we we didn't, there's still so much that we don't know. Uh, you know, we're still learning as we go along and there have been yeah. many nights where we've been here until 10, 11 o'clock at night just trying to figure stuff out I and mean, especially the early deals, I mean, putting offer letters together and things. It's taken us a long time to to figure out what we have to now to, to date and I'm sure there'll be many more nights where we uh, sure, where, 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 we, yeah. where we're figuring stuff out I think if, if you were to wait until you know everything you'll never get anywhere that's the biggest problem mm. what we do is we just get started and we just try and kind of get our way yeah. through it by you know being good people and talking nicely to people and not basically screwing everyone over and yeah. and basically using Google a lot find out anything on Google that, you know yeah. so. okay so that's that's one aspect of land what are the other arms of the business so we've got we're doing a f- we're going to be doing a few flips. So the, the land business will basically gen- it'll, it'll generate good money, but it doesn't pay until two three years from now. So in that time period, obviously we want to kind of you know bring on more staff. We're going to be churning through costs in legals and planning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we thought, okay, we're going to be spending all this money but not earning anything for two three years. That's okay, but we'd quite like not to be restricted on our growth by cash flow. So what we're doing now separately is a couple of different things for raising cash flow. I guess cash in the now. Um, so we're going to be doing a few flips. We've just taken on a HMO conversion in Edgebaston, which we'll just flip on to an investor for an investor yield valuation. So you bought it as a buy to let, you're going to convert it? Yeah, yeah, basically simple. I mean, just to give you rough maths, it's 167 purchase price, 220 all in, including refurb and um, getting it all licensed, etc. Um, including, including bridging costs and stamp duty. And then we'll look to sell it at like a 9% yield valuation, which should give us about 285. Um, we'll just flip that on and put some cash in the pot and use that to do other stuff. And then we've got a few properties coming on. And so how would you find the buyer for that? Would that just be an investor like us or would you have a specific um, place in the world? To be fair, like, how would you... I think if we tap up the right agents in the area, we know most of the agents in this area, they've all got investor investors who buy based on yield and they're actively looking for that kind of thing. So, you know, we, we'd, we'd come to that one once we've got it up and running. But we know people are buying in the area for between 8 to 10% yield valuations. So if you have a, a build team and knowledge, this could be a strategy in itself. You could yeah. convert things into HMOs, 
flip them on for a yield to yes, investors. Of course, that yeah. could be something in itself. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we're, we're doing six houses in Cannock. Where, flips? Uh, yeah, flips. So three of them will just sell on as is. And the other three, non-standard construction, we'll rebuild the skin around the building, uh, basically lift the roof up, reskin it, drop the roof back down, get it signed off and, and flip them on. Um, and again, those are... Purchase, what's the purchase price so on those? The purchase on those is 50k. Um, market value at the moment, we think, is about 65 um, as, as, they are. As, as, as it is at the moment. Are they messy inside? Um, the typical um, sort of, it needs a bit of a you know, lick of a paint, um, maybe a little bathroom here and there, but nothing major. Um, we'll probably spend about 40, 45 on it. On each uh, one? On each one. So 50k purchase on each one. Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing a rear extension, really gutting the house, starting again, almost you know, rewiring the whole the whole and, 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 and re-bricking. And, and re-bricking, so yeah. it's a, it's then okay. uh, it's then mortgageable property. Mm-hmm. And then the value, the, the end value should be around about the 135, 140 yeah. uh, sort of figure. Yeah. So on 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 the whole, we should be able to turn a decent profit on that. And the fact that they're on all in the same street as well, it should be easier to manage and get the right teams in. How do you get access to this many on the same street? Uh, it's just, it's part of a larger portfolio. So the, there's a portfolio of um, I think it's 21 in total. Uh, we're doing a deal on. We've, we split the deal into into two in effect. So we're doing a deal on the six um, with immediate purchase, and the others we're doing a uh, doing an assisted sale on. Yeah. Um, so we split the portfolio depending on. Um, there, there were some in the portfolio which were flats, which weren't too attractive to us to purchase um, outright uh, straight away for you know um, on a, on a cash basis or on a bridge. Um, but the others looked a bit more appealing to take on straight away. And just with the vendor situation, they needed to free up some um, pay off their debts on some of the properties. But some of the properties were owned and unencumbered. So the ones that we're buying, they don't have any debt on them at all. And they're going to use those to pay off their debt on some of the other properties, um, because they will be coming due, I think, in um, in a few months' time. So we're we're getting them, we're putting them in a, in a decent situation now where yeah. they can pay off those debts and be comfortable, and then look to look to um, help yeah. them with the sale on, on the rest of the portfolio. And then more recently, we've started a serviced accommodation business. So well, are we in are we in one of your SA units? This is no, this is in our development. We've got this. This is the last unit for sale in our development. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So very this is uh, Ted is now sitting on a very fancy blue chair. I'm sitting on very. It's a very nice blue chair. Everyone. His yellow T-shirt contrasts very nicely with <laughs> very the blue chair. nicely. Yeah. yeah, painting a picture for the listeners here. Exactly, exactly. And his his socks are just. We don't need to talk about socks again. Okay, they're stylish. <laughs> they're cool. Okay, better than ankle socks, mate. So my sock game is better than your sock. You know what I mean? <laughs> so service accommodation, I think um, there's a lot of hype around it at the minute. And I think, you know, when I go on Airbnb or Booking.com and stuff, I'm looking at the quality of the listings. I'm like, most of these can be beaten or it can be done better. Or, you know, there's a lot of people just throwing things together. I think if you're going to do it, do it as a proper business. You know, you're doing, you're a hospitality business. You're not just a property business where you just shove people in and forget about them. You know, you've got to have good service. You've got to think about your reviews. You've got to keep it super clean. Um... You know, your interior design's got to be on point and, you know, you've got to just do... The, I'm all about the photography. I used to do wedding photography back in the day, but I love doing photos. And actually, Ted's just taking me away right now from photographing one of the units. So <laughs> this I'm, is obviously more important than your business. Come on, obviously. So I'm going to jump back in and do the photos in a minute. And I know people say, oh, you know, scale your business, you've got to outsource everything. But I quite like doing that part of it, so I don't mind. Um, but anyway, so service accommodation. How many SA units... We, we've, we've only been going a short time, but we, we're now up to 12 units. 
Um, so over, over 10... how long? Give me, give me a timeline roughly. Well, it's a bit complicated because we have another partner who's come in on it and she's brought her units in and we've got our existing units as well. So it's, it's happened in a very quick time, to be honest. It's a couple of months or so, you know, we've kind of all just thrown this all in the pot and, and we've just got up and running. So we've got 10 apartments, two houses, um, and then probably one or two more kind of in the pipeline slash going live soon. I think we've taken on another one today as well. Have, so. have we? Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, just on the I, didn't, I didn't know that. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first on the yeah, Tech podcast. So, um, so yeah, it, it does well. You know, we're doing, um, we've got a few of those that are owned and then the remainder on rent to rent. Um, but I think in order to kind of really make a good profit margin, I think one is you've probably got to do the management in-house, um, uh, you know, for which we've got staff now working for us doing that. Um, and you've got to, you know, you've got to really have an eye for detail and attention and making it make it look like a really good product. Somebody's booking you as an alternate to a hotel. So if someone is looking at Hilton room or a Radisson room or whatever it is, they've got to then compare what you're offering against theirs. And it's got to be at least as good or at least look as good or have some kind of extra benefit or you know, free parking, high speed Internet, whatever it is. There's got to be a standout. Um, so and then there's a contractor market, so you've got to do things that appeal to them as well, you know. So. And I can definitely vouch that your design, because I was at one of your houses the other day, last week, this week, yeah. is gorgeous. And this whole bunch you had all the design. Like I just walked into one of the other ones in flat seven, I think it was. Yeah. And it was amazing. Like I walked in and thought, this looks really nice. Yeah. And yes, you have the benefit of you did design this entire place. So the floors yeah. are yours, everything's yours, but you designed it with like a kind of design-led approach. You didn't just think yeah. Let me have a room, a buy to let flat, whatever you thought. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Well, this is it. I think a lot of people go into the service accommodation business and just buy a furniture pack. And you're nothing against the suppliers of furniture packs, but the design you get from them is quite standard. Like they build robust stuff, but it's pretty boxy and pretty square. I think if you're going to make something that's on trend, on fashion, you know, with the, you know whatever the look is at the minute, then you've got to just choose, pick and choose. And it means sometimes you do things that are unscalable. You won't always go to a wholesaler to buy furniture. You might have to go to a retailer and then lead times are a problem, you know, delivery times are a problem, things come in packaging. You're going to deal with all that all that stuff. But what we try and do is keep as many items as generic as we can and then a few items we pick and choose to make it look more kind of design-led, as you say. Mm. And I think I think it makes all the difference. But Hardy, do you agree with that in the sense that, like, do you think that having a design-led approach in SA, maybe spending extra money and hassle on these little things is going to get you you know, a high nightly rate, is it going to make you more money or is it more about the quality of delivering with it both? No, it's absolutely, I mean, presentation is everything with SA because the first thing you do when, you, when you're booking an SA unit is you look at the pictures, you look at the location where it is on the map, you're not necessarily familiar with the city, so you look at where it, how close it is to wherever it is that you want to be, yeah. which is usually the city centre or if there's an event going on, wherever that is. So yeah, absolutely, presentation is everything and, and design, you know, design is, uh, is, is, is critical yeah. um, to that. So yeah, it's um, it's presenting it in such a way that it's, it's it stands out and it's uh, it's better than you know everything else that's out there. I think it's what I've done from day one. Would have been buying and selling stuff. I used to just buy stuff that was photographed badly and just sell it and take good photos of it. And there's literally the same approach I've used throughout the years. And you know, buying and selling cars, you make a couple of grand on a car just by getting one that's got crappy pictures and polishing up and taking nice shots. And same thing applies with property. And when I did this, the development that we sat in, when I did the show home. Um, I spent a long time, way too long, interior designing it. Did it myself. It looked amazing, though, I must say. No, it thank you. Really got help from my missus as well, so I've got to give her some credit for that, to be fair. <laughs> and then I took, I think, 10 hours photo shooting 
a two bedroom apartment. So it took me ages, you know, I was there different lenses on the floor, up in the corner, you know, just every single angle you can imagine taking photos of this place. And then it took me another day to edit it, but it was worth it because, you know, we got the clicks on right move, people were interested and they came down and our, and our ratio between viewing and sale was then kind of five to one, I think it was between viewings and sale, which is pretty, pretty decent. Uh, and that's all pretty much off the back of having a good show, um, good brochure, good pictures. And I think that same kind of ethos now is getting driven into the service accommodation business. Um, and we're trying to streamline the process so that the interior design doesn't take as long as what it does what it did previously because I realised how kind of unscalable that is um, but there's some things I just think that can't be compromised on mm. and didn't the flats here sell for kind of slightly above market? yeah so we, we did break the ceiling price in, in the local area um, in terms of the B16 postcode um, you know there was flats across the road uh, that sold for maybe 220 to £240 a square foot we were achieving more like 290 300 quid a square foot it's quite, um, it quite a bit more yeah and I think it was purely just because you know we did things with a design-led approach basically and I put myself in the shoes of the buyer if I'm buying a flat that's say 180 to 250 grand which is kind of the right kind of money around here um, I've got to look at what else is available and yes the city centre flats are available for that much but then this is on the edge of the city centre in the suburbs well kind of on the edge of the city not quite as busy Um, it's got off-street parking the price is similar I've got to just make sure the design is as good or better um, and that worked, you know, we sold out pretty much all 18 flats in six weeks. Um, that's really, quick. Yeah. To sell property. I know we're in almost central Birmingham, but that's yeah. still pretty quick. Yeah, it's, it's pretty quick in the given market, etc. But um, we've got one left now, which was sat in, um, which hopefully we'll, we'll get off pretty soon. The market has definitely slowed down a bit. You know, we looked at the right move, kind of clicks and views and all that kind of stuff and definitely less across the board. But um, Is that because of the word? Because of B word, yeah. B word. What B word? Don't know what, what you're talking, talking about. about that. Uh, I, don't I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, the meaning of yeah. the news. Isn't there something important happening? Don't, don't know. know. March, May, June. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. We talk about Lamborghinis. Well, we definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, you said you hired someone to streamline the SA business. Yeah. Was that again like an easy decision because you thought, you know, this is a headache. Yeah. Like someone needs to do this. But again, why didn't you maybe give it to a management company at twenty yeah. percent and say? Well, yours. I think, to be honest, it's not so much of a headache. It's about kind of, because I'll do anything and everything. I'll scrub the toilets if I have to. I say this to my staff and I say this to everyone. If I'm out there with a paintbrush because I've just got to do it on the day, I'll, I'll do it to get things done. I don't care. It's not about the headache per se. It's more about how do you scale this thing. And I think by compartmentalizing roles into certain parts of the process, you know, you can scale a lot quicker. So, you know, we, we've almost broken it down into sourcing as one section, phase one set up phase two and then management of phase three and there's no way that one person or two people can do all of that for you know a massive goal you know we're aiming for a big big goal and what is the goal well we're aiming for 100 deals in the year we've told our team that if we do 100 deals in the year we're taking everyone to dubai all expenses paid i'm part of the team as well right <laughs> i don't think so not with those socks <laughs> i was on the you'll get let into dubai with those oh, on, i don't know I, I, I was contracting for you lot i thought okay cool yeah. right, i'm to cut this podcast now then yeah. that, that includes all deals it's worth clarifying so the essays flips uh land deals as well and so does it mean do you have to exchange complete on a like where do we i think songs are deals secure oh, yeah. that's a good question there's, 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 there's yeah. going to be a bit of give and take because we might get to the end of the year we might yeah. be on like i don't know say 90 with another 12 yeah. like okay. pending or offers agreed on so we'll have a little bit of give and take there but i think yeah. i think the deal's done when uh well deals ultimately done when the, pe- when the paperwork's signed yeah. isn't it um, yeah. but so, when it's agreed when it's secured right that's it 
And so it's now April the something, first week of April, I believe. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> you should have said it, that. Huh? <laughs> now he's going to say, Are you 25 units through you? What number are we on? Well, it depends what we include. Anything that's safe, like you, you're like 95% mm. is ours. Look, we're not, we're not a quarter of the way through yet. Um, you, know, this, you, can get, you can get like 80 of the last, you know, who knows? That's it. And we, I know we're fully aware that this thing's going to ramp up. So the last, I don't know, six months, probably more than that, we've been really heavily involved in the implementation part of on d- different businesses and the land and also the Sy- service accommodation. Syst- and systemizing the whole thing. It is, yeah. It? And how we've split things between ourselves as well is we've realized there's no point in us duplicating our efforts. So mm-hmm. originally, we'll, you know, we, this has kind of evolved as we've gone along, but originally we thought we'll each do certain things within the different businesses. So we've, okay. you know, with, with the flips that we've going on, got going on, we thought I might, I might manage some of them and then Shabazz might manage the others. Um, but actually what we realise is there's no point in duplicating um, our efforts. There's no point in us two people managing the same teams because then it creates um, complexities in terms of who's reporting to who and you get sort of blurred lines of communication and that kind of thing. So the way we split things now between us is uh, I'm focusing uh, primarily on the on the land business on a day-to-day basis at least and then Shabazz is focusing on the, uh, on the, on the service accommodation. And then we each have we each have uh, involvement in in those businesses in terms of doing monthly reviews and you know maybe two or f- uh, every two or four weeks have uh, strategy meetings and see how things are going so we still each still have involvement in different parts of it but it's just a better use of our time mm, um, yeah. so that's a roundabout way of ans- not answering your original <laughs> question <laughs> but it's a good example of how like we've just trusted each other so much just to get on with stuff like yeah. i know that Holly can take care of that business and i'll take care of this one and there's a reason why strategically we're both doing that independently because we're both looking at our joint situation and be like, okay, actually we need some cash in the now. We need to pump some money into the land business. How are we going to do it? So Hardy was just like, Shabazz, can you go and make some money, please? And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> see you later. And, and that trust, though, does it come from like working with each other at the beginning and maybe being a bit unsure, but actually realizing he's really putting his weight? Cool. Has it come from that or... Hmm. Hard to hard to say, really. I think I think trust is something that you build up over time. It's you know, it takes a very long time to build trust and a very short amount of time to lose it as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think it's just something that we've built over time working together. Um, and um, yeah, I don't think it's something that you something that you know comes in an instant or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's uh, you know it comes over time. It takes a lot of takes a lot of effort to to, to build. You yeah. just got to keep on keep on trusting each other and doing the right things and, and it comes back to values you know if your values match from day one then yeah. you've got a good chance of being able to build that trust absolutely I think I'm probably overly trusting of people not that that's a ba- I'm saying that hardly shouldn't be trusting <laughs> there you go but I think I'm quite <laughs> <saying exclusives laughs> on the podcast I think I'm quite quick to trust people as well and maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing but like um, you know, I've had a couple of experiences recently where you know, yeah, I've trusted somebody yeah. and you know they've not been quite what they've said they've been um, and in I think that situation what like yeah. sorry to interrupt you there but in that situation what do you how do you handle it because I know for me I just I can cut someone it's fine see you later bye if if that kind of situation well, happens I think I've become a bit more hard skinned to it all because or hard nosed because you know you haven't got time to you literally have not got time to dwell on things when they go wrong or mm. when a relationship wasn't what you thought it was going to be or you know you've just got to cut ties and move on and crack on with it otherwise you'll just be kind of stuck in you know Sludge, basically. <laughs> then I had to explain it. Emotional sludge. Emotional sludge. Emotional sludge. Yeah. Not a good place to be. Yeah. Okay, so you're both doing a lot. Yeah. You both often have time. Yeah. And it's not a bad way. If I come in the office, you always say hi, you always stop what you're doing. I call you if you call me. We just we talk as if... Well, listen, I've, I've got a rule of thumb, right, that basically 
if my mum is in the area and she calls me and says, son, do you want to go for lunch? I don't care what's happening. I'll go for lunch with her. Because I think there's certain minimum standards you have to accept for yourself that, you know what, you can't go beyond that. And I think at the same, you know, we went for a track day the other day. We were both into cars. I broke the integrity at the track day. Yeah, and, you um, well, yeah. And we thought, okay, we're really, really busy right now. You know, probably can't afford the day out. But we're like, you know what, sod it. You know, this is what we live for. We enjoy this. It's a nice day. Booked a track day. We went out and it was fine. Come back on Monday. Nothing's fallen down. It's still, it's still here. Yeah, it's very easy to get sort of dragged into a trap where you work, 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 and you just don't think of anything else. Um, whereas, yeah, life is life is for living. So, yeah, um, so yeah, we're trying to enjoy ourselves as we go along, and um, yeah, make time make time for everyone. I think as well, like, our office is such a laugh. Like it is literally like, banter, is, banter yeah. bus nonstop. <laughs> it's, like you just cannot walk in there without someone getting ripped or like you know. Yeah, often it's me when I walk in. Yeah, usually, thanks. usually, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, it's good fun working in the office, and that makes it easier. You know, people kind of it builds trust very quickly, and you know the team kind of just support each other, and and you know we give them trust to crack on and do things. You know, mm. we don't at all micromanage because I hate micromanagement. It's just not the way to do things, um, and I think that things just move move forward quicker. So somebody came into our offices the other day and said it looked like the Google offices, which I was quite happy about. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's about, cool. it's about having it's about having a balance. So yeah, we've got a really work good work environment at the moment. And I think everyone enjoys coming coming to work in the mornings, mm, yeah. which is uh, which is key, you know, to to in terms of like sort of staff retention and all that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it really is important. But it's having that balanced with a hard working environment where stuff gets done. Um, yeah, you know, we do we do set um, you know, quite strict uh, key performance indicators. So you know, we have our targets every week every month what's going to be achieving then annual targets as well so we try and keep everyone working towards those and, and yeah. monitor those on an ongoing basis so it's, it's, it's everything's balanced isn't it you've got to you know, you've got to balance everything in life and you know work and play is, is one of those things that's really interesting you know what you said about the kind of taking that day off I think having each other and having a company makes it a lot easier because mm. I've been there and you might be the same when you work in recruitment you know, working from home alone all you know is work yeah. And if you want to take a day off, you're like, oh, take a day off. Then your brain says, no, you can't do that. Whereas here, you got Shavas to be like, no, no, we're going to track day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for people listening, if you're working from home alone, find a business partner, have a shared office, have like an accountability partner, do something. Because I can tell you from my experience, like you will just work and you'll, there were months I just sat there making no money. And I was like, I was at my desk. Yeah. What was I doing, right? And yeah. so it's so good that you have people yeah, yeah, around yeah. you. It's I mean, I'm, I'm, ter- I'm terrible at like, over the years, I've been absolutely terrible. And this is probably an admission I shouldn't make on a podcast, but procrastination, like, and I think everyone suffers from it to some extent. But you know, when I was on my working on my own, completely with my, for myself, I think like that was probably one of the most difficult things to overcome. I'd just get up in the morning and be like, oh, "Okay, what do I do now? Let's go and watch Jeremy Kyle or something." Homes under <laughs> the, the hammer. That's where it all started. <laughs> That's where it all started. <laughs> and like, I think having a working environment to go into every day and having staff which hold you accountable as a mm-hmm. boss because you've got to provide for them as well. I think basically I've got over it. Like I'm, procrastination is no longer really a thing because I'm just too busy. I've got too many things to do and there's too many like immediate deadlines. You know, that whole just-in-time production kind of thing. There's always a de- an immediate deadline. Like I know now, as soon as I finish this podcast, Hardeep's going to ask me three things that I haven't done today. And he's like, have you filled in that paperwork? Have you done this? I'm like, shit, I should have done it. <laughs> that's, that's, I love that approach, you know, and it's good that, that thing about having a team to hold you accountable, I think we yeah. forget that. Like when you yeah. grow a team, you don't realize that actually you're a leader. 
and you have to do the things that you're telling them to do to an extent yeah. and you have to show them that hold on we can trust these two to lead us mm. into the battle that is property that's yeah. it I think that's been one of the biggest transformations for me over the last how, six months since the last podcast has been in terms of how we work and holding each other accountable and mm. I've been getting so much more done being so much more productive in the way I work as well mm. um, there's no more kind of you know floating through through days not really getting much done it's yeah. um, you know it's quite regimented now in terms of the way well, well, I am in terms of the way that I work and having task lists and that kind of stuff. And I know you, you're getting better with your with your task lists. Slightly well. better, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then, so you guys are doing a lot. You're doing a lot in you know five, six, seven days a week. How do you? And I think I saw your board down there, which may sort of give me a clue to how you do this. But how do you manage all these flips, all this like? How do you just keep it? You know, yeah. in your head. There's a one word like, answer to that, isn't there? Is it? Podio. <laughs> yeah. Podio? Well, it's, it's task management software. So we, you know, we went from, you know, it's, it's a way of kind of keeping account of what you're doing, what different projects you're working on. You can have Gantt charts in there. You can have CRM in there. You can have all your contacts, databases of information, property information, and then day-to-day tasks against all those things. So we started by using pen and paper. The first thing I did was have like a notepad. That was rubbish. Because you lose the notepad. That's and, all they had when you grew yeah, up, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. Back, in the, back in the caveman era. Yeah, back, in the, yeah. back, in the, back in the 50s. Back yeah, in, scribing. Look, I'm only 33 years old. I'm 33. <laughs> I'm 32 years old. 33 next month. I was like 35. Oh, no. I was like, yeah, yeah, stop aging me. Anyway, so started with a notepad and that wasn't working. So then I shifted to using an Excel spreadsheet. And then again, that's very clunky. You know, It's not very user-friendly in terms of multiple people using it. Uh, in terms of like a task list in different categories. Um, then I moved to Wonderlist. And I found that Wonderlist was good, but quite restrictive in terms of what you can do with it. So then I moved to Asana. Asana is fantastic. You know, it's a kind of an entry level starting point for a task management, project management type thing. It's brilliant. You know, it's great because you can just literally talk to your phone and say, you know, okay, Google or hey Siri, you know, add a task. And like, you know, that's what I used to do all the time when I was out and about. I used to just do it when I was driving. Um, and now more recently, we've moved to Podio because Asana's got some pretty rigid structure in terms of how it can be used. Podio allows full integration with the outside world and other bits of software and you create workflows off the back of it. So for instance, we have, I'll give you an example in our in our service accommodation business, we have like almost like Kanbans, so there's different stages at which a property is at and once it moves from one stage to the next, a new task list is automatically generated for the staff and then each time you move to the next one, you can't move to the next one until you've ticked off all those tasks. So all of a sudden we've got a system and a process and Podio is now brilliant because if we start any other business, we'll just implement the same system into every single business that we do and it's fully integrated. And the beauty of it is that if we've got three or four different businesses, because I've got, so I own a gym as well, which is another business that I kind of run through Podio. Um, if we have multiple businesses, at the end of it, I still have one task list. that I can see all the things I need to do on a day um, or as often is the case, the full list of things that never get done because I've got about 30 things to do in a day. So there, there is some juggling and some prioritization that has to happen, but it's, it's great. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's good for, for logging what, where you're up to with certain leads as well and conversations that you've had with people. So we have a rule in the office now that if it's not a podium, it didn't happen. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I like, you know, that. and I uh, that. that's it. And um, you know, I think you've got to have something like that where you have a, everything in one place. And if you're on the phone yeah. to someone, you need to look something up quickly. You can very quickly search for it on podium. So it's very good for that. But it's been, um, it's taken a long time for us to implement it to the point where we are at now. And it's been, you, know, you end up with a lot of little tasks that you have to do to actually get all this implementation in place. And sometimes it seems like, 
you're doing a lot and not making anything yeah. from it. But actually, we're at the point now where it's all working quite well. Um, we've still got yeah. still got lots to do with it. But I mean, would you say that people should, and more so with SA, but like systemize and outsource? sort of from the beginning, like if I'm working by myself mm. in a similar business to yourselves, yeah. it would probably be beneficial to have Podio, even for yeah. one person, right? Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Yeah, I think it's good for day-to-day task management for yourself to keep yourself sane that you've... Uh, what, one of the biggest things for me is capture and forget. So it's uh, a written book on productivity. I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, it's, there's a whole kind of thing about capture and forget. So when you're out and about and you remember something, it's often quite stressful if you haven't got somewhere to write it down. You know, and you're like, oh, am I going to remember this when I get back to my desk? Um, so what you do is you just shove it in Podio and forget about it and then you just deal with it when you get back to your desk. And that's one of the main, I think, benefits of it, even if you're just using it for yourself, is, is just to do that, is you just get everything out of your mind and it helps you well, sleep at night. It helps you go home and just forget about everything else and just, just relax. And then um, I think when you're scaling things up as well, if you've got that structure in from, from early days, then it's quite easy to plug staff into that process. Um, and I'm all about kind of checklists and systems and processes and I think probably running the gym taught me that because that required a, a lot of that in terms of checklists. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of now gone into Podio mm. and it's all working really well. Sounds awesome. And then uh, maybe a more kind of general question. Is there anyone in property or in your lives who have inspired you and you think have influenced where you are today? Because you've done, like I've said, a lot in a short period of time. And if people listen to your old episode, they'll hear even more yeah. of what you've done. Like, is there anyone you kind of now, when I said that, you thought of? Mm. It may not be anyone. It could be yourself in five years. That's interesting you say that. I mean, my parents. My games. parents are always like a massive inspiration for me. Like, it sounds really cliche, but like, they've. My dad has been like the hardest worker that I've ever known. Like, he just does not stop. He's sixty years old. He's still at it. He's off to Algeria or somewhere next month to do a project. He doesn't need to, but he just he just does because he just he does it for the greater good of the family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, I've got massive kind of. Uh, you know, respect for that. And I think his, his hard work, and I've seen that through the years, you know, now kind of rubbed off on me. You know, maybe I was a bit lazy in the early years at university or whatever, but now I can see, you know, why he did it. And that's kind of been a big kind of influence and driver for me. Um, and then, yeah, I think myself as well. I'm always trying to beat myself. It's a bit of a weird thing to say, but, you know, kind of, you know, made certain success up to today, but I'm like, yeah, so what? What's next? And uh, I think if you continuously just push against yourself and try and make yourself better than you were a year ago, you'll just be continually, continually moving forward. But I think it's really important to sometimes step back and be like, you know what, actually, I've done all right. And I think quite often I forget that. Like, it's, it's very easy to get stuck in the day-to-day of doing the job and forgetting, you know, how fortunate you are, you know, what position you're in, what opportunities you have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fully self-employed. You know, I've always wanted that since I was very young. And I think that's a, that's a big, big kind of achievement for you. And I forget that sometimes, you know, the flexibility and freedom it brings and the extra hard work as well, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so 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 that that's yeah, that's my yeah. I think um, I think we're fortunate as well to be part of quite a large network. You see a lot of stuff on on Facebook, and you know, listen to a lot of podcasts as well when I'm out and about driving. Which is your favourite podcast? Favourite? Oh, I can't think of any off the top oh, of my head. God, um, I don't know. I don't know. There's one like, like, like it's like a yellow background, but I can't think. Of yeah, I feel like that's probably the best. I'm not it's too good. sure. So, I think is it begin with T? I thought it begins with M. <laughs> 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 I'm not too sure. You both got t-shirts uh, from this podcast. Yeah. We have, yeah. I didn't get the memo that we were doing this podcast today, otherwise I would have worn it. Yeah. But that's how good it is. You just, we just turn up and we just do it. Yeah. Everyone, he loves Tej Talks. I'm going to say it because he's not going to say it's it. My, yeah. It's my gym t-shirt. Tej Talks is life. Life oh, is yeah, nothing yeah. without Tej Talks. It helps you lift more <laughs> in the gym as well. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. Do you even lift if you don't listen to TED Talks? Well, that's the question, mate. Yeah, no. That's the question. Just don't lift. Nah. No, don't lift. Just don't lift. No leg day. No leg day. Leg days for um, for uh, the 5am club. For the 5am club. Yeah. Oh, we're members of the 1am club. With the 1am club. You weren't there, sorry. No, I wasn't there. No, I was still there. Yeah. yeah, no, no. <laughs> so tell me. I just don't sleep. Forget, <laughs> forget, forget the 1am club. Oh, you're embarrassing yeah, I'm 20, us now. I'm 24-7. 24-7. Well, that's why you're embarrassing us on air. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, hardly, Mr. Hardcore now, I don't sleep. Who's inspired you then? Who's inspired... Oh, it's, it's hard to hard to say anyone in particular uh, off top of my head, but... Or what inspires you, maybe? Is that a, what a inspires question? me? Yeah, that's a, probably a better question. Um, what inspires me? I think I just want to do... You know, I've got certain things that I want to do in my life. Um, he wants a Ferrari F40. Uh, yeah, F... Don't you have one? No, that's no. An F, um, that's an F3. It's a 360, three, it's just a baby one. Uh, <laughs> Good, the exhaust isn't baby, you turn it on. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got these materialistic goals uh, as well, um, which everyone does, but I think, that, I think that's got to come at the end of doing everything else. I've got certain things I want to do mm. for myself, for my family first, get all those in place. Um, you know, eventually at the end of all, wherever all this ends up um, you know I want to do something where I'm giving back to people less fortunate than myself watch a really inspiring film the other day I don't know if you've seen it um, uh, it's called Lions on Netflix mm. um, but that just sort of really got me really got me thinking it was almost like a bit of a libel moment went off in my head that I thought I want to do it from a position of being able to really help people I know you know I could be doing more now but actually I want to do it from a position of uh, you know I think position of wealth is a great position to be able to be in to be able to help people and actually really make a a, a, a difference in the long term um so that's kind of where i want to get to and being able to do that and the thought of being able to do that really inspires me to do something now do something about it now uh, and make a difference to to those people that are really in need um but also again like i was saying with the podcast and things now you hear a lot of inspiring stories out there people who perhaps less fortunate than myself and that's when I count myself think about how lucky I actually am you know I'm, I'm sitting here you know healthy I've got everything I need around me um, and actually I should have no no excuses uh, and there's no reason why I can't get out there and make it happen so mm, I like that and that kind of forms your why right in yeah, absolutely why so what would be your why then what's my why mm. Oof, that's a deep question for oh a, we're getting deep deep question for a four o'clock on a on a Thursday afternoon it's the best time to a guy in banana socks see I'm buying some time here to think about what the is <laughs> they're actually from a kid's book company I used to work for is you yeah yeah, yeah. you customise your name gets in the book oh, so you'd be like oh Shabazz is, a, is, a, is an astronaut you know like yeah. a builder dream yeah. jobs so tell me what's your wife I think you know it's very similar to Harley I mean, maybe this is why we've got kind of very similar in terms of values and stuff but I've always wanted to give back I've always wanted to do things I've done charity projects in the past and you know that's what really gets me buzzing gets me going you know, when you can see that you've made a genuine impact on people's lives, it's a huge, hugely, hugely rewarding thing to do. So again, I'd like to be in a position where I can do something that's not kind of flash in the pan. It's more like a long-term type project where we kind of support a community or support a few projects kind of an ongoing basis. So that's a big, big thing for me. Um, also putting myself, my family, my parents, my next generation, and probably the generation after that in a position where they've got freedom so ultimate freedom so they don't have to you know be stuck in you know going into corporate world if they don't want to if they do that's fine um you know i didn't i didn't necessarily enjoy work going through the corporate career path so you know i wouldn't want to kind of uh you know have my kind of kids or whatever in the future have to go down that and make that decision if they had to so i think 
you know, there's a lot of things in terms of setting up the family. I've got obviously materialistic things are great, you know, but once you've once you've had something, it's like you bored of it in about two minutes, you know. I bought this car, the Dablo, and it's like, okay, great, I can see it right now actually. It looks cool, like it's a pretty cool thing to do. It does, yeah. And um, but you know what? End of the day, you've had it, you ticked it off, and it's like, all right, well, what's next? Yeah. What are you going to go and buy an even better one or a bigger one? And it just never ends, really. So yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff is cool. The way I look at that kind of stuff is more as like a, for me, like a short-term reward. Mm-hmm. So if I've done something, I've done a project, and I've I've made um, made a bit of money, or had a, some kind of success, it's like a little bit of a kind of pat on the back to myself to say, okay, you've done a good job. Just go buy yourself something nice. And I, I'm kind of. I'm always at the trade trader mindset. Like I bought that car, but I'm gonna flip it and make a profit on it. So to be honest with you, it's not cost me anything. So, um, okay. but anyway, back, I mean, back to the why. Yeah, fundamentally, I'd love to do things for other people. I'd love to put my family in a position where you know they've got that ultimate freedom, um, and just to be able to do what you want when you want, kind of thing. You know, and to continue that on an ongoing basis for for future generations. Yeah, I love that. I think what you said there is really important because there's a rapper called J Cole. I'm sure you're familiar yeah, yeah. with him. He's our generation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He kind of said the same thing. He's like, when you go for these materialistic, superficial things, they're yeah. nice and they bring that yeah, bit yeah, of buzz, yeah. but actually it doesn't last. But when you go for the things that are deep or meaningful yeah, to yeah, you, yeah. your satisfaction is is real contentment, contentment and happiness. Absolutely. There's a good saying good. by, uh, or saying, talking to rappers, J. Cole and whatnot, T.I., in one of his songs, the rapper T.I., he says, and I always, this has always stuck in my head, the grass is greener where you water it. Mm, yes, sir. And it just makes so much sense to me. It's, you know what, because... <laughs> You know, the grass is green on the other side, great, because you're always looking at something, you know, your neighbour or whatever, your colleague, whatever, it doesn't really matter. The grass is green and where you water it is if you're growing and doing something, you know, that's where the grass is green. Yeah. So I really love that saying. Where Stuck in my head. In. And it came from TI. I'm sure you probably pinched it from somewhere else. Well, I'm but... sure you did from Shakespeare or something. <laughs> it's a great saying and it's, it comes yeah. with everything. What you look after, what you put yeah. effort into your health, your mental health, your whatever it is, your garden, it's going to be way better, right? Yeah, yeah. So... I'm going to do something different now at the end of the show I've cool. never done before so I am also on the spot breakdancing no I have done breakdancing before oh, you. but it's, it's too much on my neck damn I've got like an old man's neck we're on video as well I would have liked to and it, you know, I know, a couple of moves good. you know this is a good floor as well I, I think. could probably moonwalk on this floor uh, I could but my shoes have too much grip yeah you probably could because you could do it in your banana socks banana socks I could do my banana socks yeah yeah <laughs> so I'm going to say a word or a phrase or something oh god here we go and I want like your thoughts on it, but in like a sentence or two. So it's kind of a quick fire round. Yeah. So if I said, for example, Shotgun, not first. I'm not going to think. This. <laughs> oh my god. No awkward pauses. Right. Go on. Someone else will fill it with something even more. Can quick. we pause the recording? I can. Do you, I'm not going to though. No, carry on. Carry on. Come on. Uh, if I said to him McDonald's, I would say disgusting. How you would say delicious. Great <laughs> dichotomy is here, yeah. but you can say you say a sentence if you want, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because if you think too quickly, you might yeah. be rude. But anyways, that's fine. We're being honest here. Yeah. Um. Let's start really easy. Um. Interior design. Amazing. Super important. <laughs> Lovely. Super hyphen important. Design design led approach. Bang. Design led approach. Bang. Uh, Break the ceiling prices. Bang. Social media. Oh, you can't live without it. Now it's exposing everybody. Uh, in a good way and a bad way um, and I think you sh- everybody should embrace it and accept it I used to be thinking very negatively about it and be like oh this is you know the world's probably changing for the worse but actually just accept it and get on with it I think it is part of nature of what we do I call it the, this is more than a sentence but <laughs> I, I call it the sometimes in marketing I call it the middle of a funnel when you're kind of networking or meeting with people because you'll be out and about meeting people you'll connect with them on Facebook and then they'll interact with your content 
off the back of having met you and then interacting with your content on an ongoing basis, they've built trust with you. So the next time you meet them, it's a bit more of a progressed conversation. And that didn't used to happen before. So, you know, what an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, basically, just, you just said everything that I was going to say. Um, no, no I, I agree with all that. Uh, the only other thing I'd add is there's a lot of people who I think hit a wall with like social media, like Facebook, for example, and they feel like they get to a point they're not getting anything more from it. So I think it's how you use it as well. Being part of the right groups is really important um, and, and, and engaging with the right type of content. Yeah. Um, so I think it's how you use it as well. Talking um, of groups, there's a fantastic group on Facebook. What's it called? No way. Which Property Petrolheads. Property Petrolheads. And why should everyone join this group? Because it's run by two amazing geezers. I wonder, I wonder where they are. I wonder who they could be. Get them on the podcast. They'd be amazing, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. But it's really bringing people together with a passion for cars and people who love property as well. We yeah. found there's nothing else out there. And a lot of yeah. people who are into property are into cars and vice versa yeah. as well. I think a lot of prop- property networking meets are quite like serious, but we're just a bit more like informal. We have yeah. like Monopoly days, track days. Uh, we're going out to the Nürburgring. We went karting as well. I can't yeah. remember who won that. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> is, is he here? I don't know. Might Just be. to let you know, Hardy does weigh like four stones less than me. So, <laughs> and I did come second. Excuse is coming out. Look at this. Okay, cool. Um, everyone join that group. It's really good. I need to get in the WhatsApp group as well. Yeah. Um, uh, what if I said to you, fences? He just looked outside. And he just... <laughs> no, I didn't. My imagination extends more than the window. I don't think so. They're very important to separate your, your gardens, basically. Uh, if you sit on the fence, you get a sore ass. Yeah, you definitely do. And dual packages. <laughs> can, we, can we swear words? Try not I'll be honest, there's good ones and bad ones. You know, if you call them dual packages, for me, that's already neuro-linguistically programmed in my head to say this person's a bleep bleep. But I think uh, there's good sources and there's bad sources out there. Um, definitely some good ones and good people we work with. And it only takes one or two good sources to kind of feed in some really good things. You know, we've got couple of sources on land sites um you know down in the southeast and you know and that's um that's worked really well for us so i think good sources and bad sources in a nutshell yeah pretty pretty much and um i think it's there are a lot of people there's a lot of bit of a stigma attached to sources and um you know, the natural thing that people comes to people's mind is is negative thoughts but actually it's working with the right ones but also Sometimes it's educating the ones that aren't necessarily producing the stuff that you want them to, and it's educating them and working with them in such a way that they can produce the right stuff for you, um, and giving them a chance. So it's not necessarily just you know closing them off as soon as they sent one bad site to you. It's uh, it's working with them. Amazing. And the last one, buying at market value. Waste of time. <laughs> What's market value? What's market well, value? BNB. Oh god, this, this is a definitely long answer. Okay, look. So um, well, last, absolute last question is what are the three biggest challenges or learnings from scaling your business? Oh, wow. Quick fire. That uh, is a big question. Systemization and, and processes, having all those in place and minimizing wastage of time um, and duplicated efforts within the team. Is that all three? No, that was just one. That was one. Oh, I've got to come up with two more. Yeah. Banana socks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying time. Um... <laughs> So yeah, I think systemization, I'd completely agree with that. I think if you've got the right system in from very early days before you even recruit the staff, then it's a lot more kind of efficient when you get the staff on board. But when you're first starting off, then there's no harm whatsoever in getting your staff to help do the systemization. You know, so we've got staff to write checklists and then we've kind of added to them. 
Um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, scaling a business, I'd say definitely get your group structure and finances and stuff in check from from early days. You know, I've kind of been guilty of um, kind of leaving that for for some time. Um, I think it's important from a tax planning angle and from a strategic planning, you know, limiting liability, all, all kinds of stuff. And when we've got so many different businesses going on with different partnership arrangements, et cetera, et cetera, it can get quite complex quite quickly. So I think that's probably another thing that needs to be done early days. Um, and off the back of that, you know, financial reporting, which we're still kind of a little bit to some extent doing it by the seat of our pants, but we've got an idea, you know, ROI, you know, what budgets we're working towards. Um, but again, we're going to systemize budgeting and monitoring of budgeting versus actual a lot, a lot more going forwards um we did it for this project um we didn't necessarily follow it religiously so i think that's probably three three things i'll, I'll take that yeah. three you got one more of uh, i think it's just setting setting goals and thinking about where you want to scale to and working backwards from that so it's no good saying you want to do 100 deals in a year if you haven't got an actual strategy to do the 100 deals in a year. Yeah, yeah. So it's breaking that down bit by bit. What does that mean month by month? What does that mean week by week? What, do that, what does that mean in terms of daily activity yeah. that has to be done to hit that overall end goal? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's just taking a bit of a sort of a helicopter approach on things and looking at where do we want to get to and then how mm-hmm. do we actually get there? Right. Yeah, well, I think that's four. You've yeah. reached the end of the podcast. You got, you got well. your money's worth. No, they're really good, they were. So. From Dudlow, you. From Dudlow, I was part time Dudlow, um, so. Right. You're off to Dudlow now. Well, no, I'm actually going probably back to Fansworth, would I am. If people want to get hold of you two, yeah. tell them how they should do it. Find us on the Property Petroheads group, <laughs> Facebook or WhatsApp. Um, Facebook, really? Yes. Just, yeah, Facebook, just Facebook and names. I'll put your um, links in the show notes. Put the bio. In the link below. Below, if, 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 yeah. if the yeah, thing's still yeah. recording, which it probably isn't. Probably isn't, yeah. But uh, but yeah, Facebook, type in my name or Hodik's name. Yeah, and, and Instagram messages. as well. Thank yeah. you both very much for coming back on it. I know how busy you both are. I've stopped you from you're taking your photos. You were looking at... I was just looking at... Yeah. Trying to keep map. warm, doing something. So boys, thank you so much. And in six months, we should do it again. Defo. 100%. Nice one. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.